song, childlike song. Nice. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Uh, excited about the upcoming spiritual formation Saturday. We have another one coming up, the latter part of October, uh, October 22nd. And um, as you've heard me say, we're going to talk about various aspects of life, of the Christian life. One is firming up a foundation for our faith, re-firming up a foundation even. Uh, this idea of freedom in Christ, what is that? Uh, from, from a standpoint of emotions, thought, doctrine, number of, number of things that many of us uh, are challenged with from time to time. Then, of course, who is the person and purpose of the Holy Spirit? And then our last section is the Lordship of Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, sort of as a precursor. Um, maturity in one's belief, in my opinion, can best be described as submission to the Lordship of Christ. Um, not all in the body of Christ enjoy the freedom of being under the Lordship of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? Just under the Lordship seems restrictive and confining, but in reality, it's liberating, freeing, enjoyable. And I want to get to that point today where we can see that in his word, living under the Lordship of Christ. Not, not all understand this. Many avoid it, and by doing so, they avoid the fullness of the blessing of walking in the power the love, and the wisdom of God. This morning about, I don't know, 7, 15, something like that, I was sitting in my, uh, my chair. I say it's my chair because no one else would dare sit in it, so I guess it's mine. <laughs> it's, it's not the most attractive chair, but it's my chair, and I sit it in the morning. And uh, the dog is sitting at my uh, feet, laying down there right next to a, uh, a French door. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a rather large 215-pound black blob who has no awareness of our presence, and the dog has no awareness of the bear's presence. The bear is lumbering along, and I'm thinking to myself, we fed that construction crew yesterday, and we left the food on the porch in the back of the house and I'm saying to myself, a bear can smell something from like 12 miles away, and I know they can smell carne asada, 12 hours old. <laughs> so I'm thinking, in any second now, this bear is going to be three and a half feet away from the window, and this dog's going to turn to the right, and they're going to look at each other. Oh my gosh. That dog did something, I didn't know, it defied gravity. It's up against the thing like this, against the French door. The bear's looking at the dog, the dog's looking at the bear. The hair on the back of the dog is up in the ceiling, and they're standing there like this, and, I'm, and it's loud. I failed to realize, as cool as it was this morning, I thought I'd left the front door open for a little bit to get some cool air to come in the house. Right down there off of Short Off Mountain, kind of swishes right down the hallway there. So I go to shut the door, but the dog is out, chasing the bear up short off mountain. She's gone. 
And this is another thing for which I probably need to confess and repent. I was kind of hoping. <laughs> it's for another day. It's for counseling. I have a counseling session coming up. Yeah, deal with that later. Anyway, anyway, the point of the story, there is a point. The point of the story is, oftentimes we are quite unaware of things going on in our life, things going on within us, things going on around us. We're just simply unaware. Hebrews 13, I think two and three, somewhere in there you'll see, we entertain angels unaware. I mean, what, the point here is that there are things that are going on in you and through you and in your life that you're not as acutely, and me as well, not as acutely aware of as we probably need to be. And they exist in our life usually because we fail to submit to the lordship of Christ. Okay? We're unaware. This particular passage, uh, its intent in large part is to, <laughs> this understatement, make us aware. All right? So, having said that, by a show of the hands, I'm going to ask about three questions. How many people want to hear what the Bible has to say this morning? And how many people want truth? How many people are open to entertaining, living a little bit more under the lordship of Christ? <laughs> that wasn't as many. But I will, say this, <laughs> I will say this. In about 20 minutes, remember, you raised your hand. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It's like kind of like going to a chiropractor, this passage. Um, it inevitably leads to a bit of an adjustment. One might even say a correction. But what happens when you get adjusted or corrected, you move about with greater flexibility and freedom. And that's what this passage does. It has to do with judging others, in part. And it goes like this. You therefore have no excuse. Paul writing to the Romans, to whom he's never met. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Actually, that would be enough just to digest that one verse and leave, frankly. I, I can't even imagine how adherence to the Lordship of Christ in that one verse would change, radically change the world in which we live. At whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you, show, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Wow. Let's break it down, shall we? 
That word kindness, in your King James, New King James, you'll see the word goodness. Kindness and goodness, okay? The kindness and goodness um, is, is, is in regard to our past sin. God has a relationship with you, I hope he does anyway, and hope you with him, and, and he sees you now through a lens of his goodness and his kindness. And through the lens of his goodness and kindness, he sees you forgiven of your past sin. That's good news. I have plenty of uh, sin in my past. Perhaps you do as well. That is good news, and it's quite kind of him. What kind of God do we worship? The kind that shows kindness to us based on our past sin, right? That's a beautiful thing. Now, notice forbearance. Forbearance can be considered God's kindness in regard to our present sin. Uh, it gets better. So everything that happened from this moment into the past, the kindness and goodness of God has dealt with us through the cross of Jesus Christ, the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. And his forbearance uh, is, is applicable to what's going on right now in this moment. Your sin in this moment. Your sin today in the present. And then he has this uh, patience some of your translations will say long-suffering, may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our future sin. Isn't that something? The one who was and is and is to come has, out of his goodness and kindness, dealt with our sin of the past, out of his goodness and kindness and forbearance, dealt with our sin in the present, and out of his, uh, his, his long-suffering and his patience, he's dealing with our sins yet to come. I mean, who else could you worship? Who, who else would you want to worship? Who else, having demonstrated a love for you and I while we are yet sinners, and while we are yet sinners, and while we will intend to be sinners in the future, he's covered it. It was and is and is to come as out of kindness, goodness, forbearance, patience, and long-suffering has dealt with our sin. He knows that we'll sin tomorrow and the next day, and yet he holds back his judgment against us. He's continually holding back his judgment against us, and he's placing that judgment on his son, has already, the finished work of Christ. We presume upon the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering God, which should bring the moralist to a humble repentance. This whole dynamic of him having past, present, and future dealt with my greatest need in, in advance of my even knowing I had it, his preparatory work on the cross, the demonstration of love, to get me to the point where once I'm truly aware of it, I can relish and, and, and rejoice in the freedom of knowing that my past, present, and future sin has been dealt with by God. Whether, when, it, when I didn't even know it was happening, it happened. And this ought to, to me, it ought to foster, it ought to generate, it ought, to, um, it ought to just recreate in me this ongoing, humble um, repentance. That is to say, if God is that way, and he is, and my sin is that way, and it is, then my response to him should always be, forever be, an ongoing, humble response to that kindness, forbearance, and patience and long-suffering, my response ought to be humble and ought to be <laughs> rejoicing, gratitude, and, and, and it just ought to be, I need to turn away from it. You see, most people think that God drives us to repentance. He doesn't. 
He doesn't do that at all. That he, that he scares us into repentance. No, he doesn't, not at all. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. To think that he is that kind, that patient, that forbearing, that long-suffering, my only response really is to repent. That's really the only response we have. The only appropriate response is not to think he's an ogre or condemning or judging or, or out of bounds or anything. He's approachable, he's accessible all the time, and his, the repentance is simply a humble response to an overwhelmingly extravagant innocence available only by the blood of the Lamb. But if we don't watch it, if we're not careful, our humble repentance can turn into an attitude of superiority. Meaning, we cannot fail to realize and be reminded of on a regular basis that the rest of the world has past, present, and future sins as well, and many of them have no outlet for the forgiveness of it. And we should expect at a very low level from those people as we should have had a very shallow expectation of you and I before we came to Christ. So if in any way, shape, or form, we become some moralist who actually judges the world We're doing the same thing they are. In fact, in this passage, it says, do the same things, yet do the same things. Let's go for it. Lordship. What does Paul know about all this anyway? (laughs) Are you kidding? He knows everything about it. Did he have past sin, his present sin, future sin? Why is he talking about God's kindness? Because he is, in his own mind, the greatest recipient of it. The greatest recipient of God's goodness. He was swearing out murderous threats against people, against Christians. He gets murder. He gets imprisonment, he gets persecution, he gets all of those things because he was the source of it. Now, he can't murder anybody in his heart and he can't slander anybody and he can't be judge and jury of anybody else because he'd be guilty of doing the very same thing he had been forgiven of. Worse yet, in the name of Christ. Said another way, we have in our country this incredible right to free speech. We don't have free speech in the kingdom of God. You can say anything you want, but there are consequences to slander, to being judge and jury, to drawing conclusions, to condemning another. Our country even understands, our jurisprudence system even understands you're innocent until proven guilty Just that basic, basic foundational thing to our nation, but then elevate yourself to the kingdom of God, we can never be judge and jury. We can never find somebody guilty before they're found innocent. That's not even in our purview. It's not even allowed. 
The Bible would never even go that way. We, can't, we don't have this freedom to say and do anything we want. Not under the lordship of Christ, we don't. We don't. See, Paul knows the greatness of God. And to wrong a great man is a great wrong. And God is the greatest of all, yet he shows mercy. We should be the most merciful people on the planet. Why? Because the greatest level of mercy was extended to us. We should be the good people on the planet. Why? Because the goodness of God was extended to us. Past, present, and future. We should be the most humble people, the most teachable people. Why? Because we have been humbled by the grandeur and the splendor of the loving kindness of a God who put up with us and railed against them. Some of us in this room, myself included, even blasphemed him. We've, I, I cursed people. I cursed him. I curses came out of my mouth left and right. I was a pagan among pagans. I could have schools on how to be a pagan. I was a drunkard. I was all of those things. The kindness, the goodness, the long-suffering, the forbearance, the patience extended to me has to leave me humble and without judgment against anyone else. It has to. Otherwise, I've never truly appreciated it nor received it. That's lordship. And the liberty that goes with that. See, the refraining from condemnation of another, judgment of another, being judge and jury of another, that freedom keeps me from putting another brick in the wall between me and God and me and the people I'm supposed to be reaching. But every time I do, I fail to realize that the kindness of God is supposed to draw me to repentance. Paul knew God's greatness. He knew God's omniscience. If someone knew all our sin, would they show mercy? Yet God shows mercy. If there was a, a graphic, if there was a, a cloud, a, a visual of some kind that would represent the sin in all of our lives, just in this room and on the balcony and over here in the children's wing, just that, how big a cloud would that be and how dark and black and ominous would it be? If we could just see it, if we could just see it and we could say, okay, there it is. But for the most part, not under the lordship of Christ, without a sensitivity to sin, we pretty much remain unaware. Until it comes up three and a half feet from us, we see it for what it is, and it's costing us something dear, like a relationship, like a marriage, like a sibling, like a child. When it gets that close, then we can see it. But if it, if it was visible, and we would see what God knows. You see, what does God know about our sin? The things that we've, 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 we've slandered someone in our mind and heart before we ever got here this morning. Somebody even murdered somebody in their own mind. Someone even lusted after someone else before they got here today. How big is that cloud? How dark is it? How gross is it? Well, Paul knew had his cloud and he knew what it looked like. And the only time he really saw it is when he was struck blind. Then he saw it. And he says, I, I know what the greatness of God is. I know what the omniscience of God is. And I know what God's power is. Sometimes wrongs are not settled because they're out of your power, yet God is able to save, settle everything wrong against him, yet he is rich in mercy. If God's rich in anything, 
he's got like divine coffers like Fort Knox times 10 million full of mercy and grace. He's rich. He's got a cattle on a thousand hill, but that didn't even come, that didn't get close to the depth of the love, the high, wide, long, and deep is the love of Christ. He's rich with it. I think repentance is not often truly exercised in the body of Christ today because we're hardwired to think it's overly difficult. God's demanding something of us. And we're so oversaturated with uh, talk of forgiveness and grace and mercy and the salvation of Christ that we've missed the lordship of Christ. Now, without the lordship of Christ, what does the future of the church look like without the maturity? It looks like freedom from sin and forgiveness of sin. That's wonderful. But after a while, if we don't exercise, if we're not corrected, if we're not uh, repentant, what does it really look like? Well, the world's already trying to tell us, why don't we just pay attention? It looks like entitlement. Where everyone gets a trophy. You don't want entitlement in your walk. Let me be clear. You do not want what you deserve. And the people that live under the liberty and the freedom of the Lordship of Christ understand that. Not here, but here in their heart. Paul knows the object of God's mercy. Spurgeon put it this way, it seems to me that every morning when a man wakes up still impenitent, he finds himself out of hell the sunlight seems to say, I shine on thee yet another day, as that in this day thou mayest repent. But your bed receives you at night, I think it seems to say, I will give you another night's rest, that you may live to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Every mouthful of bread that comes to the table says, I have to support your body that still you may have space for repentance. Every time you open your Bible, the pages say, we speak with you that you may repent Every time you hear a sermon, if it be such a sermon as God would have us preach, it pleads with you to turn unto the Lord and live. Repentance. The guiding verse of my preaching ministry, for whatever that's worth to whoever wants to hear it, is 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5. Our words came to you not, our gospel came to you not simply with words. but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. It, the depth of conviction leads us to the see the kindness of God. And seeing the kindness of God causes us to turn and go a different direction so as to please him, so as to honor him, so as to worship him. Our response to the kindness and the benevolence and the patience and forbearance of God is this. I, I don't want to sin against you. I want you more than I want my sin. See, that's what it really comes down to. Joshua 24 and 15, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the choice is whether you're going to serve the Lord or not. 
That's all it is. That's the choice. And if you make that choice, then lordship comes in. And it protects you. It frees you. It liberates you. From who? Your lordship. Your lordship. Men should see the goodness of God and understand God has been better to them than they deserve. God has shown them kindness when they have ignored him. God has shown them kindness when they have mocked him. God is not a cruel master and they may safely surrender to him. God is perfectly willing to forgive them. God should be served out of a simple gratitude. My goodness. My goodness. God drives you nowhere. He leads you everywhere. McDonald's will drive you to their restaurant. He'll, they'll drive you with coupons. They'll drive you with advertisements. They'll, they'll herd you like cattle till you come in there and, and you buy something. Chick-fil-A will not attract you with anything but good service and good food and they'll charge more for it and you don't get a coupon. And my guess is you eat there more than you do McDonald's. See, attraction. You don't drive people to Christ. You attract them to Christ. And what attracts them, what attracts, the lordship of Christ is what people truly want. But people don't even know they want the forgiveness of sin anymore. Please, can I just alert you to something? People don't think they need to be forgiven of sin. Why? Because there is no sin. It's all relative. Everybody can do whatever they want. What do they really crave? What do they really, really want They want to see somebody living a successful, abundant, full, loving, kind, vivacious, exciting, laughter-filled life under the lordship of Christ. You can't ask somebody to get excited about asking for forgiveness. They don't even think they're doing anything wrong. And most of them don't have the father figure they needed their whole entire life, so they have no idea what it means to answer to anyone else, nor authority. Repentance is not simply negative, it's, it's very positive. Metanoia, that's what the Greek word is. It means reversal, change of mind, and to enter a better course of life. It means turning to the new life in Christ. Not just initially, hello, and daily, daily. Oh, no, it's going to get difficult. I'm glad you're sitting down. But because, verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you were storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. What does this mean? It means you're treasuring up for yourself, not all of us, but be aware, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God because of this presupposition on God's graciousness. God can rightly say that the moralist is treasuring up things. Those of us who do the same things that we judge others to do, And why do we do that? Because the enemy we think is flesh and it's not. We think the enemy is flesh. 
So we, we react on a, on a base level with other people. We don't like the fact that they're doing this, so we do it in a different way, but we have the same sin, and we judge them doing the same thing. It doesn't fly. And it doesn't matter what side of any issue you're on. We're not here to choose sides. We're here to decide if we're going to choose Christ. <laughs> That's what you're here to choose this morning. You come over here this morning whether you're aware of it or not. Yet the decisions you make, the things you say, the way you live, the goals you set, the actions that you take, the relationships you make in the week, in the weeks, in the months, in the seasons, in the years ahead, are about choosing Christ over everything else, not sides. The only time you choose sides is at the barbecue restaurant. <laughs> We've gotten so enamored with choosing sides, we never choose Christ. Poole, who was a theologian, didn't, never met the guy. He's in the 17th century. I've never met him. <laughs> See, the moralist thinks he treasures up merit with God as he condemns the sinners around him. Actually, he only treasures up the wrath of God. Just as men add their, men add their treasure of wealth, so dost thou add to the treasures of punishment. This is deep theological stuff here. I don't truly, truly grasp it, but I know it's not good. Linsky, a German, as men treasure up the wrath of God against them, what holds back the flood of wrath? God himself. He holds it back in his forbearance and long-suffering. The figure is that of a load that God bears, which men heap up more and more, making heavier and heavier. The wonder of it all is that God holds any of it up, even for a day, yet he holds up all its weight, and does not let it crash down on the sinner's head. <sighs> I'm having to take inventory of myself right now of the things that I've said and ask myself, did I actually do the very same, same thing that I'm condemning them for, that I'm judging them for? And you know, sometimes the answer is yes. But guess what? The kindness of God is leading me to repentance. I can't resist the forbearance and the patience and the goodness of God. I can only enjoy the liberating feeling of turning and going the other way. That's lordship. It's not lordship that got us in the squivet, but it's lordship that gets us out. What are you saying? Who are you slandering? How are you gossiping? How are you baking a trust? All of those things we need to think about because we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Illustration. When I was in South Africa, this is not me writing, a fine, handsome Dutchman came into my service and God laid his hand on him and convicted him of sin. The next morning, he went to the beautiful home of another Dutchman and said to him, do you realize, do you recognize this old watch? Why, yes, answered the other. Those are my initials. That's my watch. I lost it eight years ago. How did you get it? And how long have you had it? I stole it, was the reply. What made you bring it back now? 
I was converted last night, was the answer. And I brought it back first thing this morning. If you had been up, I would have brought it last night. Here's a man who understood the initial taste of the kindness of God so contrary to what he actually deserves, the sweet taste of it, brought him to repent the next morning, would have done it the same night. That's how sweet the kindness tasted. That's how humble it made him. That's how correctable it made him. He could not wait to return the watch. Metanoia, repentance. He, that man, 12 hours a Christian created a greater distinction between him and the world than some who call on the name of Christ who have been in him for 12 years times four. Kindness leads us to repentance. Was he judged? No. How do you judge a man who comes to Christ and returns a watch after eight years and makes it his first order of business? You can't. Because though the watch was stolen from him, he too likely stole some things himself. If not objects, someone's innocence. Someone's character, someone's respect, someone's reputation, someone's status. So the real question today is, are you enjoying the liberty of living under the lordship of Christ as our musicians come? Think about this. What areas of your life are troubling to you for an absence of the Lordship of Christ. As kind and as sweet and as benevolent and patient as he is, I sometimes realize in my own life that he's grieved over it more than I am. He's aware of it more than I am. He's aware of the breach that it's caused between me and him more than I am. I'm just sitting along going about my business not realizing that three and a half feet away is a black bear. And it can come between me and him and is between me and him. And my only response, and your only response to his kind and gentle, loving, tender-hearted, covenantal faithfulness is to repent. I'm going to read it one more time because I need to hear it one more time. I'm just now getting on to something here in my own personal life is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not judging you. I do the same things. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Before God, I can no longer be judge and jury. Vengeance is not mine, it's the Lord's. I'm not one to condemn another, for I am susceptible to the very same thing. I'll say it publicly. I choose sides, sometimes before I choose Christ. I speak aside sometimes before I speak for Christ. And if more people in this nation would get a hold of the fact that a follower of Jesus Christ must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ first and do everything else second, you're going to find revival in the land. Should we not, it will tarry. Think on such things as I think on that myself. 